you today at, of course, Exodus. We will take a break from our series on Exodus up until January 8th. We'll come back to it because next week is our Christmas Sunday morning and the following week we have a, on Christmas Day, we're going to have a little service for those that want to come and then New Year's Day. So it's kind of an odd thing to both of those fall on, uh, on Sunday, but that's what we're stuck with and we just thank God for the opportunity to have the freedom to worship any day we want to worship. Looking forward to that. Um, so we'll be back in Exodus on January 8th. Um, I heard about a lady, her husband was given just a few weeks to live, and so they had to make all the funeral arrangements. And uh, he was still in his wheelchair, still at home with hospice coming in and out, and he uh, heard her, or smelled the cookies. He heard her baking cookies, and they were his favorite cookies. So he rolled in there with his wheelchair, and he reached up and grabbed them off the pan. She slapped his hand and said, those are for the funeral. I'm glad that's not a true story. <laughs> In Exodus chapter 7, we're going to look today at the last, the last message before we go into the actual plagues, and we will learn that every one of those plagues were, represented gods of Egypt and how they were just humiliated in front of the true God. We're going to uh, read verses, chapter 6, verses 28 to 30 and study chapter 7. Now, as you notice, we are skipping over a section, a list of the names here, and I would challenge you, you could study this at home. Every name has a meaning. In fact, in the Old Testament, we find God inspired them and actually spoke in an audible voice and told them at times what to name their children. So there's some interesting names there you could study if you want to, but I'm not going to do that to our church, do each week four or five names. We could do that, but we're not going to do that. We're going to pick up in verse 28 of chapter 6. And verse 29 in, in that section tells us again, the Lord says, I am the Lord. And then Moses asked, well, how is Pharaoh going to listen to me? And God said, I'm going to make you a God to him. And I'll even make Aaron a God to him. And then I'll make Aaron thy prophet and thy spokesman. So all these assurances coming from God that he would know what to say and how to say it. But of course, he's questioning all this in his own heart. God's already said it to him several times. I'm going to make you in his eyes like a God. Because remember, Pharaohs thought they were gods themselves. And they had magicians who were obviously occultic and could do things that were supernatural. And I have news for you. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. There are fortune tellers in places where they'll tell you you can go in. They'll tell you your name when you walk in the door. That's satanic you know, possession. There's no doubt about it. And all the stuff we see going on in our world, we're thankful to have a constant, consistent message from the Word of God. And we know we're okay because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In Psalm 105, this message is broken down in a very small section. A good reference to read too as, as well. So if you have chapter 6, verses 28 to 30, stand with me and we'll read these four verses here and then we'll study chapter 7. And it came to pass in the day when the Lord, that's Yahweh, we know that by the capital letters, not small O-R-D, but capital, the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Over and over he says, I can't speak that well. That's like the fourth time. And yet God said, I've given you Aaron, 
And God reiterates that he's going to be with him to empower him and help him to know what to say. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we need today something because we have a week ahead of us in the world. And we'll go into places. We may be discouraged, overcharged for things. We may have problems with neighbors. I don't know what's going on in the hearts of our people, but we certainly need to look to you as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world that we'll realize what we're up against that will be soldiers of the cross and depend on you day in and day out. Bless us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. First of all, we notice a provision for the leaders in verses 1 and 2. He says here in verse 1 of chapter 7, you know, I've made thee a god to Pharaoh. I've, I've, I've raised you up in his eyes, so he's going to look at you as a powerful person. That would offer some sort of protection for Moses. Because if Pharaoh started to think, this guy's got supernatural abilities, he must be a god, he's not going to mess with him. Uh, because Pharaoh could have just killed Moses. Probably didn't because Moses, remember, was really his step-grandchild, or one of the Pharaoh's step-grandchild when he was taken out of the river. And so Moses had a name, and no, no he wasn't this Pharaoh's step-grandchild, but there's a succession there, and you can see the connections of, of relatives and knowing Moses was something special to some of the Egyptians. There's no getting around that. But anyway, he says, I've given you authority in his eyes. I've given you divine power. And in verse 2, he says the same thing pretty much. He said a few verses before we read in our opening. He said, say what I told you to say. Speak exactly how I've asked you to speak. Sometimes it's difficult for us to confront people and talk to them. You're nervous. I don't like confrontations. But when there's someone in sin and I have to go to them one-on-one -on -one and confront them and say, you know, this is wrong, it's hard to do. And especially if he's the Pharaoh of Egypt, you've got to go and confront him and say what God says to do. And some of the things God said were pretty difficult. And I'm sure Moses was fearful. And so we find here uh, the purpose here, uh, the provision, and then we find the purpose of Pharaoh's stubbornness. Notice verse 3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. He said, I'm going I'm to harden his heart. Now, if you notice on the screen, the first verse there uh, is 27.1, I believe. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. So you see, God is manipulating Pharaoh, manipulating Pharaoh uh, to harden his heart because God's timing is a part of this. God knew the exact day he wanted them to cross the Red Sea. He knew exactly when he wanted them to offer the Passover sacrifice. He knew exactly what to say, when to say, and what to do. I love that about our God. With all the junk in our world, yeah. the decisions made this week, we voted to make it you know, a national law now, and we have to recognize these marriages that as Christians we are opposed to. And what do we do in a tough world? Well, I'm not going to perform the marriage. Maybe I'll go to the Supreme Court to get out of it. I don't know. Everybody's got to go to the Supreme Court now to get out of doing things. For these. But we've added to our bylaws a clause that we will not marry that, that people like that. So, and you think of the, the, our, our country voted on that. And what does it say in the Gospels? When it gets like it was in the days of Lot. Yeah. What was going on in the days of Lot? Lot was seated, seated in the city gate where all the leaders were. What's going on in our leadership in our city gate? What's going on, on in our world? And we see all this coming to the, to the top of the surface, and we, we realize there's an underlying problem. People need the Lord. That's the problem. Right. Don't be mean to people about politics or about their choices 
Love them as Jesus would and share the love of the gospel because he can't change them. But anyway, here uh, he's hardening Pharaoh's heart. And there's another verse in Romans 1. I don't have it up there, but it says God gave them up. Sometimes God will just give up someone because they refuse to follow or refuse to listen to God. That's what the scripture says in Romans chapter 1. So his heart is hard. And uh, we, we, he, against them leaving. But notice the word signs and wonders. They're quite often connected in your Bible. We call it dualism. But they're together so often. And signs, you understand, point to something. Wonders prove something. And so he's going to do signs and wonders, pointing to his God and proving what his God can do. And, of course, God's empowering him to do this. It's a, the word signs is kind of a general word, uh, but used often. And, and so look at chapter 9, verse 9 for a moment. Chapter 9, a page over. It says here in chapter 9, verse 9, And it shall become small dust in the land of Egypt, and also it shall boil, breaking forth with blains, these are boils, upon man and upon beasts throughout all of Egypt. And I'm, I, I want to read verses... Uh, um, actually, verses 13 to 16, or 14 and 16, right there in the same chapter. Uh, make a point here. Just hold on. Bear with me. It says in verse 14, it says here in the last line of verse 14 of chapter 9, And upon thy people that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. Look at the last line in verse 16. That my name may be declared throughout all the earth. So the purpose here, according to Scripture, of Pharaoh hardening his heart, is so God can prove to Egypt who he is. And so God can control the situation and have his armies ready, his angelic armies, and he's going to protect Israel and move them out. And there was a purpose to glorify God. Everything that is done from God is to bring glory to God. And we see through a glass darkly now. It says when Jesus comes again, every eye will see him. And in our Sunday school, we talked about that briefly. Our teacher talked about how people say they've seen the Lord. It's impossible because he said, when I come again, that's when every eye will see him. So when he steps out and raptures the church, we're not going to see him then, but every eye is going to see him when he comes down to the Mount of Olives. So you don't see God. And we see through a glass darkly. We live by faith. A lot of people want signs, but it says clearly, the Gentiles will believe by faith. We're not going to get the signs like the Jews got them. The Bible said the reason God gave them signs was they were a rebellious adulterous generation. So they had signs. We don't get that, but we believe by faith. And the Bible says we're blessed for believing by faith without seeing signs. So here, now God is saying, I want to do all this to, to, to cause the people to realize who I am. And I've got five words I, I want you to remember. Last week, we talked about some little critters. Remember the hummingbird and the bumblebee and, and some of the things in space that really point to design. We're not going to go over that again. But I thought this morning about the woodpecker and its special head. That's, the bone structure is so firm and that long beak, it could pound his head on a tree and get a grub worm out of there. And how God made that little critter on and on and on. We could talk about the waves hitting the beach 18 to a minute in a calmer storm. God, the God of design and order. I mean, think of the earth. And think of the rotation and it revolves through space. Just think of everything you can imagine, the handiwork of God. The heavens declare the handiwork. That's what the Bible says. And they point to God. And Romans 1 says the invisible things are clearly seen without it, so they're without excuse. There's a lot of invisible things we don't see that make sense, but we accept them by faith. You cannot ignore God. 
Five words I want you to remember. I'm going too fast, but anyway, here are the five. Number one, design. Number two, points. Three, two. Uh, if the fourth word is A, and fifth is the word designer. Design points to a designer. Remember that. Mark that somewhere. Design points to a designer. And when you're witnessing to someone who says, I don't believe there's a God, I believe in the Big Bang Theory or evolution, that everything just kind of came by random chance, just repeat that little phrase. Design points to a designer. Think of this. How stupid I would be if I got up here and said, I don't believe that someone created this pulpit. I believe it just so happened to fall here, an explosion, a big bang, and over time it evolved into this great pulpit. You'd say, you're absolutely nuts. Do you know how much more complex our eyeball is than this pulpit? Uh, I was talking about the heart. The amazing thing a cardiologist cannot explain. The heart just keeps pumping blood. And you ask him, why does it pump the blood? Because the blood flowing through it makes it continue to pump. Well, what causes the blood to flow through it? The heart. It's called centrifugal motion. You're riding your bike, you stop pedaling. For a little bit, the bike goes. Our heart goes for maybe 100 plus years. How could that possibly be? God. Yeah. Only God can start something and say, that's going to keep moving for 100 years. Or maybe 10 years before you go to be the Lord. I don't know, children, you know. But my point is, no one can explain this. There's design behind everything. And when you see there's design, you have to realize there's a designer. I mean, I love it when you see a really new architectural building and you say, wow, the architect must be brilliant. And you think, look at that, so cool. And of course, they're always making new stuff. I have five, I think five nephews that are, that are architects and they come up with some pretty neat stuff. And uh, you can't be an architect unless you're really good at that. And, and to think about all the things in our world that man made that we are pretty in awe of. To think of the things God made, the world itself, Adam and Eve. And so remember that, that there must be a designer if there's a design. And he says in verse 4, Pharaoh is going to listen to you. Pharaoh's going to listen to you. And he shares the purpose here in verse 4 of Pharaoh listening. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, but that I may lay my hand upon Egypt. So he's not going to listen to you now. I should have rephrased that. He's not going to listen to you because I want to show Egypt something. And then he, he also goes down in verse 5. He says the same thing in verse 5. And the Egyptians shall know I am the Lord. So he's going to harden his heart. And in the process of all that, in these plagues, the Egyptians are going to see the power of God. And of course, we find them as copycats. We'll look at that in a moment. But he says, I'm going to bring forth my host in verse 4. Back up to verse 4. That I'll bring forth mine armies, these angels. The word host means heavenly angels. And we know angels are real. We've talked about that on a Wednesday night. You can see an angel and not even realize it's an angel. Our world is full of billions and billions of angels and demons. People are seeing flashes in the sky. That must be some life in outer space. No, there's no other place that the Bible says the earth hath he made for mankind. <laughs> this place was made for man. All the planets just point to his handiwork, his design, his awesomeness. And just think of that. And then when these uh, pilots will see a flash and they'll see something flash and they'll say, oh, it must be aliens. No, demons. They appear. And the Bible tells us they appear in many fashions and many ways. And so we know all this stuff going on and we have to just trust that God's in control. He's preparing the world for a mass exodus of people. When that twinkling of an eye, not a blink of an eye, a twinkling, yeah. one one hundredth of a second, all the dead will be gone from the graves. 
and we'll have to catch up to them. But we'll just disappear. Didn't Christ arise first? Then we which are alive, we'll catch up. We'll all disappear. They're not going to see it happen. they say, where is everyone? Aliens, they're going to say. The news has been right all along. They said, there's another planet. There's aliens. They took our people. That's the lie of the devil, of course. We know that's the case, though. I got to be careful moving. I have a patch on for dizziness and a bad foot. So uh, we don't want to see me. Humpty Dumpty could have a great fall. But anyway, um, we find here uh, chapter 12, verse 12. I want to read this as well. In 12, 12. It says here in 12, 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. He didn't just kill people. He killed the animals. And against all gods, all the gods of Egypt. Numbers tells us the same thing. He did it to humiliate the gods. That's Exodus 12, 12. To humiliate the gods. He did it to give himself glory. And he did it to, to assemble his angels for a timely departure. And that's amazing, the, the timing of God. We'll talk about that next week in our Christmas story. But he says, so the Egyptians will know. Pharaoh was hard-hearted. And the purpose of God was to get things ready and assembled, and then he would move. Chapter 7 tells us they were 80 and 83, Moses and Aaron at that time. And then look at verse 9. And when Pharaoh will speak unto you, saying, show a miracle for you, then, take, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it became a serpent. Second time we, we are going to see this. Remember when, he was at, when Moses was saying, how can I do this? He said, take your rod and throw it down. And what did it become? A serpent. It's interesting, though. The word serpent over in Exodus 3-4 is completely a different word than this word serpent here. In Exodus 3-4, it, it was a serpent. Maybe it was a, an adder, a, a viper. It was something small. And the reason we know that is this, this serpent right here, the word serpent, the Hebrew word here in 7, 9, you can go to your Strong's Concordance if you have one. I have a lot better stuff than that, but we, I have a library full. But you can read a little bit about that, and I can help you if you want to see more of that. But the word here, serpent, is translated in Lamentations 4, 3, sea monster. It's translated dragon six times in your Bible. This is not a little snake that Moses... I had a trial and error period with where he threw his rod down and picked it up by the tail. This is some creature that totally blew away uh, uh, Pharaoh and his, his court because this is a monster, something really, maybe a gigantic cobra. I don't know. None of us know. But we know that this was some huge creature and that would startle Harold's, Harold's uh, kingdom. So we find here this provision and the purpose. And look at the power of the enemy. Verse 11, because a lot of people today don't realize how powerful the enemy is. Then Pharaoh called the wise men, term applied to Daniel, but Daniel had the wisdom from above, called the wise men and the sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt, and they did in like manner with their enchantments. So here they could do the same thing. They did three, three of these miracles. They could turn the water into a small amount of blood. They did the, the serpent one. They did, they did three different things. And so here, uh, he, tells, he tells him, just, just do what I tell you to do. And Pharaoh's people copied it, copied it. Sorcerers were people who practiced magic and involved idols. So here's the magicians of Egypt. And on the board, you see the New Testament gave us their name, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, Janus and Jambres. How did the New Testament, how did, how did Timothy, uh, how did Paul, excuse me, know what these names were? 
because there was no record of these names and they're not in the Old Testament. And that's when I go back to the teaching of the inspiration of God. You see, we don't see the inspiration of God, but it's clearly here. If, if he, Timothy could figure out those names, it had to be God who told him you know, these two names because they're not anywhere in the book of, of Exodus. So that's interesting to think about how that uh, inspiration, even in the New Testament, I've said before, a, a writer in the, in the, in, under inspiration can record his own death. He can write something 700 years before, like Isaiah talked about, you know, the baby being born of a virgin. Micah named Bethlehem. Micah was 700 years before Bethlehem. How did they know that? God told them what to write. Remember that about your Bible. It's inspired. And so we find Satan always a copycat. I was reading this little thing here today. It says the counterfeiter Satan. He has his own throne. Revelation says that. Satan has his own trinity, the beast, false prophet, antichrist. He has his own ministers called the ministers of Satan, his own doctrine, the doctrine of demons, his own sacrificial system, the Gentiles sacrificed to demons, 1 Corinthians 10, 20. He has his own uh, communion service, a couple of demons, 1 Corinthians 10, 21. His ministers proclaim the gospel, a, a gospel contrary to that which we preached, Galatians chapter 1. I went way too fast, but you get the point. He is a counterfeiter. He's a copycat. He's trying to put himself on the same level as God. I look forward to the day God deals with him. I hope sinners get saved, but I can't wait till he's judged because I'm tired of him. <laughs> he's nothing but trouble. But here, uh, Satan here as a serpent, he can appear as a serpent. He did in the Garden of Eden, and maybe he was part of this. Certainly it was satanic when they, they brought about snakes, and certainly he was involved in that. He's also a bird in Scripture. Remember, he takes up the seed of the gospel when it's sown. He's a wolf in Scripture trying to defeat, devour God's flock. He's seen five times as an animal. He's a lion trying to devour the children of God. 1 Peter 5 says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And finally, he's a dragon according to Revelation chapter 12. So he appears as a, a, a creature, an animal type creature five times in your Bible. He's just such a master deceiver. And interestingly, he's also called the angel of light. Why is he called that? Because his brightness, obviously, is, is one of the archangels. As you have Gabriel and Michael and, and him. But that he appears to be right and true. He's an angel of light. He puts a thought in your mind and he begins to try to justify it so you'll go do it. And that's his clever way of getting you to sin. And that's why I always remind you, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Listen to him. When you feel uncomfortable doing whatever it is you're doing or planning on doing, stop. Don't do it. That's Satan trying to motivate you to do it. And that trouble in here is the Holy Spirit saying, no, no, no. I, I can remember the Spirit bothering me so much when I was a meat cutter at the store right down in the corner there in Chickamauga Avenue 40-some years ago. And God was calling me to preach. And the store manager was wanting me to be, take the next meat market within the system of Red Food Store and be the manager. And I was making good money. Back then, they paid meat cutters because you had to actually cut the meat. Now, I think they just bring it in packages. And, but, I mean, I remember I was so miserable, I could not stand it. I'd get off work and go home, and, and I was just miserable day in and day out. And I knew that God was doing something. And... People would say to me, you're going to be a preacher. I've told you that as well. And I'd go home to my little trailer in Tree and Sky Bulba Home Park, and I'd drop to my knees and say, God, what is it? What is it? He never spoke in an audible voice. He never appeared to me. 
But the moment I said, okay, God, I'll preach if you open the door, boom, the peace was there. The next day I went to work, I was a different guy. Why? I realized God was leading me. And, of course, that week, now this is interesting, three churches called me and asked me to come and preach. I had never preached yet, except as a youth pastor. All of a sudden, I have three meetings. All of them took me on for support. I don't know what's going on, but things are changing and happening in my life. But what did it take? It, it, it took me to be obedient to the Spirit. Let the peace of God rule your heart. All of a sudden, I had that peace. I went to work, and I said, hey, I'm going to be quitting. I don't know when and how, but I'm going to be quitting because I'm going to raise support to go to Panama and start a church. I told you how I went there on a trip, and people got saved, and they wanted me to come back and start a church. All that happened. But it was the peace of God. And, and so here we find God at work behind the scenes. He's working on Pharaoh. He's working on Pharaoh. But we need to be obedient to his working in our life. Look at verse 9. Eric, let's, let's go to 819. I'm sorry. Uh, the 819. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, what did they say? God said, hey, I'm going to teach the Egyptians about myself. I I'm going to teach them about the Lord. What does it say? It says here that in verse 19, then the magician said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This, this is not the normal power that you have or that we have. This is something different, Pharaoh. These are his main men. This, this is really a God here. We're not on the level with them. They were intimidated because they couldn't keep up. They couldn't do any of the more play. After God shut them down, after the first three, they were done. The magicians could not copy what God's man was doing. And so they realized what? That Moses and Aaron were of God and they were not. God's purpose was to save the Egyptians. Do you know there's actually a pretty strong church in Egypt right now? Not church singular. I mean, there's a lot of Christians in, uh, what is it, Egypt. A lot of Christians in Egypt today. I have friends that go down there and minister to the churches down there. Michael Youssef, you know, goes down there and does crusades and stuff down there. There's a lot of believers in Egypt. There's a lot of people that hate the believers in Egypt too. They would like to kill them. And, uh, you know, so many terrorists in the world. When we, we gave one back to Russia this week, tore my heart up, Marine in, in, in jail. But, you know, I don't know the circumstances. I just prayed for the guy in jail and prayed that God would get glory. But we see, we see the, the handiwork of God in so many things. And what we lose as believers is we lose the ability to discern what the word, word of God and the will of God is in today's church. We have forgotten that it's about lost souls awesome to come here and worship. I loved it this morning. But we have to remember we have a purpose greater than our careers. And that purpose is to reach people with the gospel. And he reached the Egyptians one way and the Jews in a traditional way, but he reached them all. And our purpose is also clearly stated in Scripture. Five times the Great Commission is given to us. Every one of us is given that commission five times. And the question is, are, are we following the Lord in our lives. Are we obedient to God? I uh, think of so many situations of people I know that became Christians and became on fire for God. Years ago, I had a deacon. His, his, uh, he got saved in my church, and about seven years later, he became a deacon. He got saved first. That guy was on fire for God 
for years and years and years and years. And his wife came to me and said, I don't understand it. I've been a Christian since I was a child. And I don't have what he has. He's always hooping it up, hollering, praising God, praying all the time. She says, I don't feel that same feeling. And the only thing I could do to her was say to her, are you listening to God? Or are you caught up in the events of the world? And I said, you need to do something for God. Start to serve him. She became a really good worker in the church. Began to witness to neighbors. And before we left Panama to go to Japan, she said, God has really changed me. I'm serving him, and I'm starting to get what my husband's got. You see, he got saved, jumped right in. He believed every verse in the Bible. He said, witness, witness, said, give, give, work, work. He did it all. She had been a Christian for years and just lost sight of the big picture of God. And finally, she said, serving him, I got the same excitement and joy as my husband. She realized it was getting better and better and better. When I get discouraged <clears throat> in, my, in my life, and I struggle with discouragement some, I realize that if I don't get out of my chair of discouragement and get out and do something, I'm going to stay discouraged. So I'll call someone. I'll text someone. I'll go meet someone. I'll go do something. Because I know the joy I have is from serving the Lord. I like my dog. I like my house. I, like my, I love my family. But the peace and the joy come from serving God, reaching out to other people. And if you're not ministering, you're out of God's will. You know, we come to church and it says, the Bible says, Sunday's the Lord's Day. We come here, we worship God. But it doesn't just end here. It ends with our personal ministries outside of these walls. And we need to be obedient unto that. And I, I find it fascinating that God would use these miracles. And today we find we don't have the miracles. We haven't seen the Lord. Wouldn't you have liked to have been with Moses speaking face to face with Yahweh? The angelic form of Jesus. Wouldn't you like to have had divine intervention or heard a voice from heaven? We're not going to get that, but we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. It can come in there, and you'll say, wow, wow, I just, it's wonderful. I have all these problems, and yet I'm doing great on the inside. See, I don't take sleeping pills. I, I, I don't count sheep. Nothing wrong with all that. I depend on the shepherd. And if I am laying in bed and I'm troubled, you know what I do? I roll out of bed and roll right onto my knees and begin to pray. Why? Another promise in Scripture that if you pray, you'll stop having anxiety. Be anxious for nothing but in everything, prayer and supplication. And so the times I am discouraged, the times that I'm troubled, I get on my knees, I pray. And if it's still daylight, I go out and do something. Even if it means going to some guy I thought of during the week, go and give him a track. Folks, we have to be obedient to God. We have to serve him. He's an awesome God, and, and here we have all this supernatural power, and we think, well, that was then, but you still have power within you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's bow in a word of prayer, and today I know there may be someone here who doesn't know the Lord. All right, maybe I'm wrong, but if you don't know the Lord, come forward. We'll take the Bible and show you how to be a Christian. Our altars are open for anything, any decision you make. You just come. God, we thank you for my feeble attempt to try and explain you and your work. You are so awesome, so wonderful. Thank you, Lord. I lift you up this morning as being our God. And Jesus first died on the cross, and one day you'll come back as king. And one day you'll reign in this earth. Help us, Lord, to serve you while we are allowed to serve you and able to serve you because our end is near. Bless us now in Jesus' name.